Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mighty Rewind. This is a weekly podcast where at least two brothers talk about a movie and a topic from popular culture that you may or may not care about. My name's Tyler. And I'm Jeff, here filling in. And, oh, Brian. Brian's not here. Um, After giving shit, giving Jeff shit for the last two weeks about not being on the podcast, Brian, uh, Brian has disappeared on us. Um, this week, we are talking about the 2011 action thriller, The Raid Redemption, uh, written and directed by Gareth Evans, starring, I should have looked up how to pronounce any of these people's names, a bunch of Indonesian martial arts pra- practitioners. I'm, I I don't know how to pronounce most of these names, so I'm going to skip doing that. Um Jeff, you chose this movie this week. Why did you do that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I found out about this movie back when Raid 2 came out. Um, and that was making quite the buzz. I went back and watched the first one and was just really, really, really impressed with it. It's, oh, it's one of those movies that I think about some of the scenes, some of the some of the moments from this film um, every now and then. Um and kind of just get the craving to watch every like five years because of, of how impressive it was, just the mark that it left on me. And I've watched a lot of action films and, and this one really just stands out. Um, so when it came down to picking a movie in which a man is being hunted, um, that was the one that I wanted to watch. I gave it some thought and, and really that's kind of what this film becomes. Um uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, but for some reason are choosing to listen to this episode, um, basic concept is that a uh, Indonesian strike squad uh, SWAT team essentially is sent to uh, close down and kid or capture a drug lord who's operating out of this 16-story rundown apartment complex in the slums of Indonesia, and he has all of the tenants of the apartment complex on his payroll. Um, and so they'll all kill all the cops for him if, if he asks them to. Um, and so their plan is to go in very stealthily, very secretly, um, and get to the 16th floor and get out, uh, without raising the alarm. And of course that is not what happens. Um, many of the squad people they all get separated and we follow our protagonist who essentially goes by himself and uh is going from room to room floor to floor trying to get to the top floor um as he's being hunted by the people who live inside the building it's an intense like horror slash suspense slash just kick-ass action film um that uh really blows me away yeah it, it sort of follows the structure of a, well, let's just go straight, let's just straight into spoilers, yeah? I mean, this movie is 2011, it's 12 years old at this point. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that we're bad at hiding spoilers anyway, so um, just be aware, 
We're probably going to spoil everything, so I'm just going to say right up top, full spoilers. This movie follows the structure of like a zombie film, like a survival horror zombie film. Like, did, did you notice that? I, I had hmm. never really picked up on it until watching it this time, how much it feels like a zombie movie. Like, it, it really, it, it's not, clearly, because it's an action film, but it's just, it feels like survival horror in the way that day of the dead or something does you know it's like these people they think they're on a mission and then they get there and then they're just attacked by wave after wave of enemy i mean that's you know mm-hmm. and humans are just as dispensable as zombies in this movie there's so many people just getting shot in the fucking head <laughs> in this movie i'd forgotten how violent this film is um i uh yeah, I saw this movie in probably like 2012, like right after it came out. That would have been, I would have been 22, still in college. I was very into like indie and foreign cinema at the time. And I heard that this Indonesian action film was like blowing up. So I, you know, had to check it out. And I really liked it when it came out. This time, I actually liked it less. I feel like I see all of its holes. Um, hmm. But to be honest, like looking up the budget for this movie, made on a $1.1 million budget, and it grossed $9.3 million. So not a huge box office success, but enough of a box office success that it warranted a sequel, which it got. Um, but... And for like 1.1 million made in the streets of Indonesia, it looks great, right? It, it is, And it is good. I will give it that. It's a good movie. But I just, I feel like um, it falls into the same pitfalls that a lot of martial arts films end up falling into, which is it's just the plot becomes kind of a loose structure to get people into different scenarios of, of displaying their martial arts. And I... I guess watching it this time, I was like, I kind of remember the plot being better and it isn't really, you know, it's not boundary pushing at all. You know, I guess watching it the first time I maybe was a little bit more pretentious. (laughs) I don't know. Um, But I, I still think it's a great movie. Um, So yeah, not trying to take any of its flowers away. It definitely has earned its spot in action cinema history, you know, Um, especially, well, we'll talk about that later, but um, yeah, I, I think it's a good movie. So let's move on. I know that you have some topics that you want to make sure that we, we touch upon. So in the interest of giving you enough time to do that, let's, uh, let's hit it. Where, where are we going next? Where do you want to start? Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll start with the acting. I mean, that's, that's where most people start to judge films, right? We see people on screen portraying these characters. Most of these actors we've never seen before. Um, how did you feel about the acting performances in this film? They're good. Um, the thing about it is, is they're, you know, they're all Indonesian actors, right? They're not like big time Hollywood actors carrying a film. Like there's no recognizable. Well, they're recognizable now because of this movie. Right. Mm-hmm. But they're not, you know, they've never been in like major Hollywood films. Like some of them have been stuntmen or like side characters in other, you know, in Hollywood and, and stuff like that. But for the most part, they're just 
Indonesian. What what's the martial art that they all practice? They're all practicing. Yeah, pancakes a lot or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Um, it's like an Indonesian martial arts form. It's very cool. It's very showy. It's very efficient at the same time. You know, um, uh, it's very brutal. Um, they're all very skilled in it, and um, I think they're all clearly very good martial arts performers. Acting wise, it's always sort of difficult for me to gauge how well someone is performing in a different language. I don't know why, but like when they're not, um, when it's not coming across in English, like the line reading always is sort of difficult for me to gauge, you know, I'm like, was that delivered well? Cause like, I don't, I'm not familiar enough with the language. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that way about like a lot of Hong Kong cinema. It's a lot of like, I can understand like physical emotion and like all of that. And I I can recognize that in this movie. And I think that they do a serviceable job, you know? Um, But as far as like, you know, acting performances, there's no one that like really stands out to me as like, wow, I got crushed it in this movie. But as far as martial arts performances, everyone in this is extremely impressive. Even people who barely get any time. I think of... um, one of the cops gets uh, kind of tasked with protecting the older lieutenant or whatever throughout the movie. And he gets like one fight scene towards the end when they're in the narcotics lab where he actually gets to kind of like flex, you know? And I'm like, that guy's that guy, he crushes it in this movie. And that's why is that his only fight scene? You know, Mm -hmm. I think he, maybe he had like some other bits in other scenes, but like he got like a good one-on-one for like a minute there. And like he performs really well and like every single person in this is doing, you know, some form of action. And I think that that, you know, the way that that all works, I mean, it makes sense that Gareth Evans, after his success on this and Raid 2, goes on and gets Rogue One as his directing gig. Although apparently he got that stolen from him by Disney. They didn't like what he was doing. And so they they actually shadowy had Dan Gilroy go in and, and direct the uh all the reshoots and so they say that like gareth evans barely directed that movie but like watching this i'm like i kind of see gareth evans fingerprints all over rogue one still you know what i mean like i very much still see gareth evans in that and honestly like i wish disney would stop fucking over directors on star wars movies because or i guess it's lucasfilm because i would have liked to see what gareth evans was able to produce in the star wars universe without having the question of how much uh, Mr. Gilroy had involved. Wait, is it Dan Gilroy or Tony Gilroy that did that? I, I don't know. Dan Gilroy. Dan Gilroy. Anyway, um, what do you think about the acting? Was there? Yeah, I mean, to me, acting was was decent. Um, like you said, you know, it's it's kind of hard to tell without understanding what specifically is being said. How we're how are if I would have done it differently, or if I was the director, would I have told them to do it differently? I I, I don't know. Um, I think the emotion does come across. I think some of the saving graces of this film, given that it is trying to be received by a larger um, audience than its native language, whether or not that was the intent or not, but at the point now that people are watching it, they're now watching it not in the native language of the film. The film does benefit from not having too much dialogue, um, which I, I'm going to separate acting from choreography here because um, choreography is a separate topic that I obviously want to dive into, but just there physical acting and delivery when two people are interacting with each other there's some moments that i like um 
where I think they do a good job, but as far as verbal line delivery, it's kind of hard to judge, like you said. Um, overall, I'd give it a, a decent, right? I would say there's nothing wrong with the acting. It wasn't any point where I saw bad acting or I said, oh, nope, that was horrible. Um, for the most part, it just allows the movie to progress, which is which is good. Yeah, that's what you want from it, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I will say it's Tony Gilroy that did Andor and the reshoots on Rogue One, not Dan Gilroy, they're brothers, but anyway. Um, yeah, I don't disagree. I don't think that anyone... I don't think anyone turns in like a really terrible acting performance in it. I would say that there are like two that really stand out to me. And that is obviously the main character, Iko Uweiss or whatever the actor's name is. And then the guy who plays Mad Dog. Mm -hmm. Um, Those two stand out to me as better performances than probably the rest of the film or the rest of the actors in the film. Um, The guy who plays the main crime boss does like a pretty good job. Um. But, uh, you know, he's kind of not, he's kind of more like a silent type, doesn't really have a whole lot of talking until the final, you know. I'll say, I I always try and recognize whenever there's a character that I don't like on screen, because I always try and think like, am I supposed to not like this character? And did the director succeed in that? Like the lieutenant? Fuck that guy. Um, Yeah, but I also think he's maybe the, the, the least. Like he's like the least talented actor in the movie. Sure, like, but they gave him personally. very direct roles that clearly established him as an unlikable person. Yeah, very much an archetype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I absolutely agree. Mad Dog, I think, kind of stole the show here. You know, he was given a character that basically had zero speaking roles. He only had like three lines in the film, um, and other than that, he just <laughs> kicks ass. Um, yeah, and he does a phenomenal job. Um, Obviously, the protagonist, too, is just insane. Um, but but Mad Dog, more than anyone, is a character who they based and built the concept of wanting to fight with his bare hands into the core of his character. And goddamn, did they succeed. Um, so let's let's touch on that because we, we've danced around this now. Choreography. Um, I know you've touched on that a little bit, so I'll, I'll start. Um, fight choreography, you mean? Fight choreography, yes. Okay. I think the fight choreography in this movie is insane. I like yeah. looking to their attention to detail of the consistency of the fights, um, of where characters were as you go between cuts of a character getting thrown and then it cuts to the next fight and that character still being on the ground in the same position. I mean, it's, it's really, really well done. I mean, that's the kind of details that I look for whenever I watch, uh, a, like a non Hollywood produced film, even in Hollywood produced films too, of course, but those are mistakes that you'll typically catch in, in lower budget films. Um, and this one, you can tell there was so much care that went into this kind of choreography. Um, not only that, it was extremely innovative. Um, I, I'll, I'll say, I think that uh, I think that um, the sub thing within choreography I want to talk about is is the stunts themselves and the stunt men specifically, because some of the things that they were doing on this film and the second film are just insane. Um, but the choreography specifically, I think, was really fun. Like, there's a scene where they're going to get bombarded in a room, so they take an axe and they chop the hole into the next room, and they go to start jumping down into that room to get away. And as soon as they jump down, people start tackling the people um, who are jumping through the hole. And so all of the soldiers jump through the hole and start fighting those people, and then soldiers break into the room and start trying to jump down the hole to... And so people start, so now the soldiers are catching people in the holes and throwing them out of windows. And it's just like this, this insane juxtaposition of, um, 
floors of use of space of timing uh, that is really delivered really well yeah. Um, yeah they definitely make the most of their budget in those kinds of scenes you know what i mean like the that action of like knowing where everything is um consistency uh visual consistency between shots is really impressive um specifically a moment that i think about often it comes from this movie actually and it's uh, that hallway fight scene that is probably the most famous fight scene from this movie because it then gets aped in Daredevil. I mean, it, it this movie basically inspired all of the Netflix Marvel series hallway fight scenes, um, and uh, they they use the the use of consistency between cuts is really impressive. And the part that I think of the most whenever I think about it is the first person who attacks the main character, Rama has a machete and Rama blocks the machete, punches their wrist and knocks the machete out of their hand and then swipes the machete with his foot behind him. And then later in the fight scene, he they've done a bunch of different cuts, but a, a, a later in the fight scene, he punches a guy, flips him over his back while wrestling the machete out of that guy's hand. And that guy lands right next to the machete that he had kicked across the floor earlier and grabs that and comes back at him. You know yeah. what I mean? And like in a lesser movie, you would you you don't need to think about it, right? Like you don't need to think about that because it doesn't matter how they get a machete. The idea is that we're just trying to watch the fight scene and they the guy needed to have a machete in this scene. He would have picked up a different machete off camera, right? But in this movie, due to its visual consistency, they literally make you follow where that's where that machete lands. And when you follow the person landing next to it, you see that there's another machete available to him and, that, and you know how it got there if you're yeah. paying attention. Yep. And I just think that that is, it's awesome when they do that. You know, I think that in a lot of movies these days, especially like, I don't know, like, you you know, you get your shaky cam, born, born supremacy and born identity kind of movies where it kind of becomes difficult to understand like where people are in the space. You know what I mean? Like how close is he to the bookcase before he slams the guy into it or whatever? Or um, specifically, I think of the Taken movies, right? I don't know how they made so many of those, first of all. But second of all, if you watch any of them, it's it's insane like trying to figure out what where anyone is supposed to be in any of the fight scenes. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't make any real sense. No. And the, the idea is that it doesn't matter. But to me as an action, like a big time action movie fan, I need to know where people are. You know, I want there to be a consistency. And so being able to focus on that in this sort of claustrophobic film is I think really awesome. And it allows the director to kind of do that. Whereas like I just watched Avengers infinity war and Endgame in the last couple of days. And as much as I love the action scenes in those movies, the whole time I was watching it, I was comparing it to the raid and just being like, there's just like, I have no, like nobody is anywhere. Like none of this really makes sense. You know, there's so much going on that it's just, you know, yeah, as fun as it is. And how much, as much as I like it, like I would, pref I do prefer a more well thought out and well-designed, action scene yeah. that like allows you to use your brain rather than just kind of the mindlessness of hundred percent, you know, fighting a horde of four armed monsters or whatever. No, right? I mean, comparing it to other films, I would say like the two films that come to mind for me is, is also like Marvel choreography um, specifically with low level heroes like black widow, 
where a lot of what Captain America and Black Widow feature is super highly trained soldiers with unlimited ammo running up to get within two feet of them to pull the trigger so that they have plenty of time to turn around, react, and pull the gun away and punch him in the face and before the next guy comes running up to fucking pistol whip him with the back of their fucking AK-47. Like, no one is firing bullets at these people throughout the fight um, with no explanation. I mean, maybe they don't want to hit their own friends behind the Captain America. Like, I get it. But at the same time, like, the Marvel movies benefit from the fact that the villain with the gun is not on screen until they are in the hero's face. Right? Because if you, if you zoomed out and you watched the Marvel fight scene from the ceiling, you would see 15 people standing at the edge of the room waiting to, for their turn to run up and get that shit kicked out of them by the Black Widow. Um, and none of them are firing. Definitely. Uh, and that's what I liked about this movie is because it's set in such a tight quarters, there's nobody sitting on the edges. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's, like people are just, it's a scrum. And, and people are getting fucking killed 24-7. Like, heroes are are dying left and right. The SWAT team gets shredded. Yeah. Uh, in, in like, they use up all their bullets, basically, in the first 20 minutes. And then the, the only bullets that are left are these pistols that they very clearly show throughout the movie have very limited ammo. Yeah. And they're constantly running out of ammo, which I appreciated. Um, yeah. As far as fight choreography, I think that segues into, I think, another one of your topics is best fight scene. So... What do you think is the best fight scene and why? Because I yeah. think previously I would have said the hallway fight scene, but I think after watching it this time, I've changed my mind. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no doubt in my mind. I love the hallway fights. And there's a lot of fight scenes in this movie that I do absolutely love. Shout out to, you know, the hallway fight scene. There's also that narcotics lab. There's there's a specific scene in there. Uh, uh, where they're on the table. Where, where a guy gets tackled under a table. Where it's that that lieutenant, the, the guy that you were talking about that d- barely gets to, and there's a scene where a guy's yeah. running at him and he runs at him back and he picks him up and the camera follows him and he ends up like slamming the the, the stuntman uh, into a table. Through the table, yeah. Yeah, and that. they're like, and they end up underneath it and I was just like, holy fuck, dude, like that would never fly in America. You'd never get that scene to that level of, like, uh, I don't know. Uh, I did want to talk about the extras, or not the extras, but yeah, the, the, the other, I guess they're extras. Um, the stunt right. team, but we'll best fight scene. Yeah. Um, so I that narcotics lab fight scene was really cool because I liked that it was everybody in it got to have a moment. You know what I mean? Like even the older l- lieutenant guy got to like pick up and body slam a dude. And um, but like, yeah, there's there's a scene where they, they like jump up onto like a stone table and they're like they're like trying to swipe each other's legs and like yeah. kicking cocaine every or heroin everywhere. And um, there's like all kinds of powder going and they're like flipping over each other and yep. like jumping over each other and stuff. And like, I really liked that. I really liked the, the, you know, the, the guy who didn't really get a lot to do. I really liked his fight scene. I thought that the way that he honestly, his martial art didn't really look like pancakes a lot because from what I understand of that martial art, it's very efficient and very violent and like very like, deadly so it's a lot of knife attacks and dragging knives across throats and like cutting as much open as possible and like like literally like mortal wounds only and his was a lot more like 12 to 6 leg kicks it it almost felt like kung fu to me but so it's not it's important enough the movie itself it's not only uh that specific uh fight scene so from what i read here it's not only pancakes a lot yeah they also use uh various types including judo taekwondo karate and various others so yeah yeah i i yeah i feel like um i was catching with that guy specifically i was catching a lot of 
uh, other types of martial arts. Um, but I, um, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, I don't think anyone who's gets that far into martial arts performances is only in like only knows karate, you know no. what I mean? Um, so anyway, I, uh, I really liked that fight scene, but I think the one that really stuck out to me this time that I like had a hard time looking away from was, uh, mad dog Rama and yep. mm-hmm. what's his brother, Andy, Andy. Yep. Yeah. Um, that fight scene was really cool. I kind of wish that they didn't cut away in the middle of it to go and do like the conversation in this, like with the crime boss. I didn't, you know, I don't give a shit about that storyline. Um, I, uh, I wanted to just focus on the mad dog fight. Um, but yeah, I think that that guy, I don't know his name or I know his name, but I'm, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, Yayan Ru Hyun. Um, that's mad dog. He is a very good, very skilled martial arts performer. He's in John wick, uh, chapter three as is, I think Rama. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember which one of them is in it with him, but, um, well, while you think about that, I'll also double down. That is also my favorite scene. That's where I was going to go. Um, I liked that scene this time more than I remember liking it in the past. I mean, just, just the setting. Cause I mean, for those of you that haven't seen it, um, Rama has a brother who's, who's in this crime organization who, uh, who has been found out and is being beaten by mad dog. So he goes into the room and mad dog sees them. He knows they have some kind of personal connection. So he walks over very calmly without being asked and frees Andy and then positions himself between them mm-hmm. and then fights them two on one without needing to just because he fucking wants to. Well, it's completely... that's how they describe him at the beginning of the movie. He is a mad dog. Yeah. Right? He just oh. wants to fight that bad. He wants to challenge himself and test himself. And he then spends literally like a five minute fight scene just kicking the shit out of the two of them it is such a good fight and and one of the things i mean there's not much to say in my opinion on on like costuming here it's it's pretty bland everyone stays in the same clothes throughout the entire thing um but when that fight starts everyone's got like their neckline covered in sweat then like before they cut everyone's got like you know half of their shirts covered in sweat by the end of the film they are fully soaked like yeah. that, like you could like that. They clearly are taking into consideration uh, just how sweaty you get when you're getting the shit kicked out of you. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It is insane. Um, and and within that film, and you touched on on it a little bit, but um, I don't know if there's too much to say. I mean, without going into very specific details of moment to moment, there's just really incredible things that happen in that fight scene. Really well thought out. Really great positioning of the bodies of people getting knocked off, knocked like knocked down, and then their limp bodies being used as props by the people who are still fighting, like super fun. Um, what did you think of, we touched on a little bit based on the, the, but the gore of this film, because I watched this movie with my girlfriend and uh, that was her first reaction was this was way like too gory. Like she can watch John wick, but this movie was like, Oh, and specifically the part that always disturbs her was the ripping, which is something that we don't get in a lot of, American violent films of stabbing someone and then <laughs> twisting or, you know, pulling on the item that is now stabbed or lodged into someone's arm 
to cause maximum damage. Um, and that ripping motion is just something that's very unique to this style. I don't see it in a lot of other, you know, uh, action films that I've watched. Um, the gore, I mean, some probably some people might consider it over the top. I think it's amazing. Um, used to really good effect. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I don't mind it if I'm honest. I it doesn't bother me. I you know I'm pretty desensitized to it. I will say, oh, you know what? I think I said Gareth Evans directed Rogue One, and it's Gareth Edwards that directed Rogue One. So I just mm-hmm. want to quickly say, I was, I was like, why is it not showing up on his IMDb? Um, I'm sorry for that. Uh, I. Um, put this movie on while I was hanging out with my son <laughs> and I was like wow this these fight scenes are way more violent than I remember them like I remember them obviously being violent it's a violent movie it's an action film with martial arts in it right but like there's a lot of people getting stabbed in the neck and then a, that knife being dragged across their jugular <laughs> or like stabbed in the leg and just ripping through their yep. like just absolutely decimating that person's ability to walk ever again. Um, and I had to turn it off because I was like, all right, I'm gonna have to watch this after you go down for a nap, buddy. Like this is too, like I, you're, he's starting to recognize things and like learn from, you know what I mean? Like I can't have him watching this violent movie or listening. Yeah. The scene that I'm thinking of is like the, like that initial hallway fight scene where after they um, are fish in a bucket, right? Like they, like, they are they break into a room or whatever um to anyway they have to fight their way back out and they are there are just so many men just getting stabbed and torn through and i was like okay we're 15 minutes <laughs> into this movie i have to watch it later um yeah it, it is very violent i am desensitized to it to the point that like when i was watching it myself it didn't bother me at all i don't care you know um, I'm here. I'm not, honestly, I'm here for it. I like that part of it, but it doesn't, if it's not there, I'm not missing it. If it is there, I'm, you know, I like it, but it's not, you know, it's not a make or break for me in the, these kinds of films. Um, I do like that they did it on such a low budget. And so it means that they had to put a lot of thought into it. Mm-hmm. Right. But, um, otherwise, I don't know, I guess I don't, I don't care either way about it, but it works for me. Um, what got some other categories yeah what, what do you got what else you got in there keep asking me questions cinematography so this this was a category that uh on my second watch i really appreciated like i said at the beginning there's some just shots from this film that have stuck with me over the years um that uh yeah are just are just really really fun i already talked about some of this about you know like the the fight scene between the two floors but there's just some moments in this film uh where they do some fun camera rotations and mess with like verticals or um have things where cameras start upside down or or slightly tilted where they really mess with the camera's orientation in order to try and communicate specific things to the audience um and uh really have some fun moments where like you know this massive stairwell 
that when you're on the 12th story of the building, that stairwell is very deep. And so throwing people into the stairwell and showing these overarching thoughts of these characters going over and falling, it's just like, you know, straight out of, I don't know, Watchmen or something, um, straight out of a Zack Snyder film where it's like kind of slow, like, whoa, like, you know, just get this epic kind of, oh shit moment um, with some really incredible cinematography. Um, and I mentioned before, like the, the tackle scene, right? Like, uh, yeah, they're jumping down through the, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. The one that you're the, talking about. The, the, the narcotics table. lab. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like the, the camera work on that scene specifically with the, the them probably not having, maybe not having um, the whole track set up like, like our Hollywood movie producers would. Um, but I'm imagining someone literally holding a camera and running alongside this dude is running full speed. Um, you know, it's a very gritty uh, product that ends up coming out of that moment. Um that makes it feel a lot more visceral, a lot more real. So I, I really was taken away by the cinematography on this watch through. What did you think? Um, I think that the cinematography was very good for being like on a low budget film, right? Like it was better than it, it than I think most movies that have this low of a budget, uh, uh -huh. typically accomplish. Um, that being said, I it was clearly like young, like the, it's peop, it's a cinematographer early in his career. Um, it's the the lead, the director of photography is Matt Flannery, and he seems to have followed Gareth Evans through his career because like I'm looking at the his role as cinematographer and director of photography, and it's basically exclusively on on um, Gareth Evans projects. Besides, uh, it looks like he's on it. He did one episode in Westworld. He did two episodes of Gangs of London, but I do think Gangs of London was also Gareth, Gareth Evans. And then he did a movie called Uma that I've never heard of that does not seem to have Gareth Evans involved in it at all. So, um, yeah, but I will say, like, it's, it's clearly on a budget. Um, it's, but it's creative right i think that that's one of the things about like a low budget film that's successful like this they have to be very creative in the way that they tell their visual story because they don't have the money to do like special effects work so um you can tell the shots that they really wanted to emphasize like that one you're talking about where the camera fault like tracks the guy as he gets lifted up and slammed into a table and things like that following him down through the hole things like that. Um, there are moments where you're like, okay, they clearly had to do something here. I think that the part that really impresses me in the cinematography is the, um, the fight scenes are shot in such claustrophobic spaces, right? You're not in very large apartment built rooms. You're not in very like wide hallways. And yet you, you get that sense of claustrophobia without the frame feeling cluttered or, or cut off. Right. And I think that that, that is probably a pretty difficult um, ratio to work in, right? Like, how do I fill this screen without overfilling this screen or this shot? And, um, you know, how much of it can I show while also capturing all the action that's necessary and prioritizing the action that you need to be watching um, while also moving along the hallway, moving down the hallway. And as we discussed earlier, like keeping that consistency between shots, like 
that's not an easy thing for a director, a cinematographer to do, set designer, like any of the people who are keeping track of those things, like that's difficult to do. So props to everybody who did it on such a small budget. I mean, it's clearly people who were very passionate about creating this project. And I, I think it shows. So yeah. yeah, I think they did a good job. Two more questions. Hit me. I'm 100% in agreement with everything you just said. Um, plot in general. Soldiers. Pretty basic. Um, creating a building. Some I mean, mysterious benefactors always in the distance. You're not really sure, even by the end of the film, what the fuck is going on or who ordered what. What did you think? Well, Jeff, I don't want to talk about Dread right now. We're talking about the Raid Redemption. Um, yeah, this movie, like that simple plot, I think maybe that's the part that I had the biggest issue with is that it the plot is very sparse right and like it's an action movie that always is it's fine but i think that my problem is that i've seen movies that did it better after this like obviously like like i just said dread is just a remake of this movie but with judge dread in it (laughs) and i love that movie and i think it's really good and but like every like the part where the guy's like doing the loudspeaker and he's like there's visitors and they weren't invited and they are very much not welcome and stuff like that uh i was like oh man that that is exactly what happens in dread <laughs> like, i did not realize when did dread come out because it feels like it comes out after this movie yeah did you look it up i did 2012 it okay. says um mm-hmm. so literally the next year um yeah, I um I don't know. I think it's fine. You know, it's the, it's the plot that you need to get him in get them into this scenario so that they could have this you know, all the action. It works. Um this I don't feel like I needed the brother storyline. It felt kind of tacked on in there. Um but it worked. Um I don't know. I guess the plot is the thing I have the least to say about in this movie. It's there's pretty not, straightforward. There's not much of a plot, right? Like, yeah. yeah I, the one thing that I helps me get through this movie on the plot side, watching, uh, um, watching it for the second time, was I kind of accepted that we were watching it from, even though we saw scenes outside of Rama's perspective, I kind of got the sense that we were going to get the same amount of information that Rama had. That, like, as a cop, you might not know what exactly is going on behind the scenes, right? It's this character that's uncovering this this larger world, but they're never going to sit down and be like, ooh, what does that name mean? Who is that person? What role do they have within the government? Like, that's not shit that they're going to sit down and actually, like, extrapolate um, or exposit. Um, and so, yeah, I I, uh, I kind of took it with a grain of salt and said, well, we know what Rama knows. Um, he, he's just this guy who's been through hell, and uh, he's not going to turn around to ask more questions before he starts shooting. So, yeah, super straightforward, and I appreciated that. Um, which leads to my next question. Um, what did you think about the setting? I, um, I don't have a whole lot to say about that either. Um, it's well, like the, I, li- I like the design of the building. I like how run down and shitty it feels. Um, I like the concept of this drug dealer who basically has bought out the building the building but not every apartment so there's just like one guy who has a wife who's sick there you know what i mean i i thought that was kind of a funny inclusion um and it's just because they needed a safe house basically um 
Uh, yeah, I mean, conceptually, I think it's fun. Um, it's a cool setting for an action movie. I'll put it that way. I like because I like that there's floors to it. So it basically is like video game levels or something. You know, it's like, okay, well, the bottom level is like gunplay. And then the next level up is like a bunch of guys with machetes. And then the next level up is Mad Dog. You know what I mean? And it's just like, that's the boss battle. Yeah, I, I, you know, I I liked it. Um, I agree. I, I think this movie really benefits for me. I love it in the sense that it is a self-contained just like dread it is one building that is the plot of the film it is just these characters that's not a week it's not a 10-year storyline it's it's not even more than a day it's literally like a three-hour long um uh excursion uh for these characters that are just going from floor to floor um one hell of a day uh from what i understand when i looked up the fun facts for this film the director didn't want to tell this specific story. His original plan was to set the protagonist, was to tell a trilogy with the protagonist being an ex-SWAT member who is undercover in a prison. That's the story he wanted to tell and have all of the violence be about a prison. He didn't get the funding he needed to tell that story. And they said, okay, with the funding that I have, what story can I tell? And so he turned around and set it instead inside of an apartment complex and decided to tell kind of a prequel to the story that he really, really wanted to tell which is when we get in Raid 2. And frankly, I don't think that Raid 2 is a better film. No. Um, but I, I, I think that this film actually benefits from the things that uh, that Gareth uh, wanted to avoid. Um, but the concessions that he had to make in order to make this film with the budget that he had, I think makes a better film. Um, like I think the film that he wanted to make was not necessarily already been told, but less interesting than... Um, than what he did so yeah i uh i love the idea of the self-contained one building um one story one day um get in get out um as far as the i didn't touch on your comment about brothers yeah the brothers concept i think um i don't hate it i wish that they'd done more with it right they had a lot of promise leading from from uh uh the first movie to the second movie but they really really squander it in the second movie which is just a shame because i think that um, while it wasn't necessarily used to great effectiveness in the first movie, the first movie is a fantastic setup for a deeper expansion in the next films. And apparently that's the story that Gareth wanted to tell once he got his full funding. Um, yeah. Uh, but that leads us to our next topic. So that we're going to stop talking about the raid. Um, we're going to jump into our topic that, that we always discuss that is inspired by the raid. Um, since we're in agreement that the brothers in this film aren't the best interpretation of brothers, what do you think is? Well, who are the best brothers? And I want to limit this at first to action films, if we can, because um, I think if we open this up into like dramas and stuff, we're gonna we're gonna lose the the comparison here. So, what do you think the best brothers in action films are? Do you have any that come to mind? Hmm. I'll channel Brian here for a second because we know what his answer would be. Um, Do we? Is it Ninja Turtles? <laughs> no, it's Warrior. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that is a good one. I was, I, uh, I'm trying to think of other action movies that even have brothers in them. I'm like, Ninja Turtles is the only one that really comes to mind. Um, so let's so let's let's put a little bit of parameters on this. So like Loki let's, and Thor. 
so okay so do we think that so we we agree that the dynamic between andy and uh rama isn't necessarily brotherly right they're, they're not they it just act- it feels like i just don't feel like we get enough with them to really like understand their brotherly connection you know what sure. i mean it's just kind of like he shows up and he's like what are you doing here you're my brother and it's like oh, okay and then he's at the end he's like don't torture my brother i'll fight you and then at the end after that he's like i have to stay a criminal because i can protect you from here but you can't protect me out there and then that's it and it's like i don't is that brother like, I don't, they could have just been friends you know like old friends or something like why are they brothers you know i don't sure. know so so do you think Felt warriors do you think that warrior does the concept of brothers better yeah i i say that warrior does a good job of depicting like f- generational trauma really yep. well um and like family um in a very unique way right i think that that that's good um yeah i would say so but and you know i don't it's kind of hard for me to relate because that's not the kind of relationship like you and i have or brian yep. and i have right so it's kind of like is that how brothers would act because i don't i don't think that's how i treat you guys i mean i'd definitely sure. beat your guys asses in a cage but that's yeah. not you know it's different it's different um i get it so i mean i i agree um and, and for those of you who are confused uh, we're talking about the uh joel edgerton uh tom hardy um ufc film uh i'm guessing 2011 off the top of my head um i no i think that's like uh, well i don't know it would have been but before yeah. inception um yeah i think it would have been around that timeline anyways um yeah i i agree um that I think Warrior has a lot of strong suits. I don't think that its depiction of brothers necessarily makes the two of them good brothers. They are brothers who are, you know, dealing with the fact that they have this connection to this person that they don't always see eye to eye with, uh, which I guess is a strong theme when it comes to brothers. But I think that the, you touched on the, the two brothers that do have a dynamic that is very similar to what we see in this film. So Thor and Loki, right? One of them has a set of expectations. Let's go home. Let's, let's you know live the same life that we've been living for thousands of years and loki's like uh no i've kind of been in your shadow i've kind of not perfect in your in our parents eyes and i want to go do something else even if my parents see it as wrong um Mm -hmm. i'm i'm good at this that's kind of loki's arc in in the first movie um and we see him go you know full dark in in uh avengers one um and then we see him kind of get a slow redemption arc um throughout the rest of it so how do you think thor and loki compare to andy and rama um i don't know i I feel like you don't really get the thor and loki brotherly bond until way later in the series you know what i mean like in the first one you kind of see thor caring a lot about loki and loki being kind of a bad person right and then you kind of understand his anger and like his motivation by the end avengers not really a lot going on with loki i mean he's in it obviously but he you know thor and loki don't really get to have like brotherly moments and then dark world you get more family like loki and thor together kind of stuff and it, that makes more sense i guess um i don't know it's kind of we also have a lot more time with them you know so i would say like comparatively like 
is it a good depiction of brothers? Yeah, eventually, right? It makes sense. They kind of settle into their roles. They start to seem like brothers by the end, by you know, by Loki's death in Endgame. You get Spoilers. a lot of screen time with them. Absolutely. But yeah, you you get that time to sort of build up that relationship and like I don't know. I think it makes sense by then, but um yeah. You know, I don't know. I think I think what I'm saying in this one is in the raid Andy and Rama don't get a lot of time together, so you never really feel their brotherly connection, so it almost feels pointless. You know, like why did we make them brothers if we weren't going to do anything with it? Like there's nothing unique about them being brothers because even if they were strangers i feel like rama would have saved andy you know what i mean because that's the kind of character he is True. so it almost feels silly that they were brothers at all um i think if i were to have been given this script to make edits i would have had them drop the whole brother plot line and either make andy just someone who he teams up with because that's probably more interesting because then he kind of becomes duplicitous and like He's like, oh, I'm on, like, I'll, I'll help you guys take this guy down because I want out of the life. And then he helps the the main kingpin get killed and then he takes over. Sure. You know? That's sure. more of an, I feel like that's someone, a way more someone's interesting Someone's been watching character. Invincible. When does that happen in Invincible? That's uh, it's the entire plot line with um, Invincible helping uh, Mahershala oh, Ali's character. Right. Yeah. That's literally, right. that, that's literally the plot of that entire arc. Yeah, well, kind of, yeah, but yeah, I I forgot about that one, I, and I like that's probably my favorite part too. But I do, I just, I just think that that's a better character. I get it. Than than yeah. just being like, oh, I'm your brother, so I'll save you. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is a cheap um, way to build to build like character affection to turn around and be like, oh, yeah, we've got this deep. Yeah, yeah. I and agree. honestly, and, and I think Gareth, that's uh, like, I'm not going to spoil Raid Two for anyone that wants to watch it, but. Um, I think Gareth kind of misunderstands. I don't know if he's an only child, but um, he he seems to just use the concept of brothers as like a motivation. Because in the second movie, same exact thing. Ah, he's my brother. Ah, he's my brother. And it's like, uh, well, like you haven't really earned that title by showing us necessarily how, like you haven't tested that relationship. Um, I will say if you became second in command to a drug kingpin, I don't think I would be like trying to help you that often. You know what I mean? I think my, like if you needed to go to jail, I would just, let you go to jail you'd still be my brother i wouldn't want you to die or have harm come to you but like i would think that you need to go yeah so i, I you know i don't know i i don't yeah family always see, seems to I, be like a go-to like really easy wow. cop out I, I see where i sit with you damn all right uh well then let's let's talk <laughs> about this so as far as brothers go you know you brian and i we have three in our family um most well, we brothers have that we two we each have two, but most films usually only show brothers being one, right? The, the vast majority of brother films out there are two guys that are brothers. You don't get too many families, at least in action films specifically, where you have three. So you touched three on... Three ninjas. So, yeah. <laughs> True. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but specifically the scenes where there's only three of them in them. Well, so let's touch on Teenage where Raph gets kidnapped and it's just Michelangelo, Donatello, and Rabbi, uh, Leonardo. That one, that scene. Uh, what? So let's touch on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because that is that is a, a good, more popular, um, one of the more popular brother relationships. Um, do you think that the way that the Ninja Turtles interact is a solid brotherly relationship? Yeah, I'd say so. 
I'd say specifically in the movies. In the comics, they're kind of just like a team of heroes. You know what I mean? But I think in the movies, like specifically like those 90s movies with the weird rubber suits, um, they feel like brothers you know what i mean i like i've always liked that the ninja turtles like argue and kind of don't like each other but love each other you know what i mean i would say that that feels very authentic i wouldn't say they don't like each other but they certainly don't agree so it's not when i say don't like each other like it's it's an exaggeration right like i it's not about like they love each other obviously and like they respect each other but they it's very easy to get frustrated with brothers who, you know, like, for example, decide not to show up for a podcast. You know what I mean? Like things like that are very frustrating from time yeah. to time. Um, but that doesn't mean that I like wouldn't drop anything to help you. Right. And like that, you know, in, or like disagreements in just, you know, other aspects of life. It's very easy to disagree with somebody that you're so close with or like you have spent so much time with you know i get the same types of arguments with my wife where it's just like frustration based on the decisions that she makes or whatever right well and there's also just that that concept of brothers one of the strongest themes that you'll see used over and over and over again is that even if you fundamentally disagree with this person and normally that would be enough for you to stop talking to that person you don't really have that option and of course you cut off your family of course people do take that option but realistically when you're when you're that close to the family unit like it's hard to, to to look at someone and say, I fundamentally disagree with you, but I'm still going to choose to spend my holidays with you. Um, is, yeah, uh, I mean, it, I'm glad that d- between the three of us, we all at least share relatively similar views. We all have relatively similar hobbies. We're all relatively similar personality type wise, things like that. Like that, that is great that we are congruous like that. So we don't have to have. I don't typically like. I'm, I mean, I would hope that your example of fundamentally disagreeing isn't isn't you telling me that you disagree with my life or whatever. But no, I don't think that we have that issue. So like, it it makes it a little bit easier. But I do know people who like straight up like you know their parents are or like their their siblings are very you know right wing and and you know that my friend is is very liberal and so they like just straight up do not see eye to eye with their sibling and when they have to talk to their sibling it's like an anxiety inducing situation you know what i mean and like luckily we don't necessarily struggle with that and i would say that the ninja turtles are in that way as well right like they they all fundamentally share the same sort of belief systems their personality types aren't that difficult or different but they are different people who make make different life choices. Yeah. And from time to time, the other brothers may be frustrated by the choices that Raphael makes or yeah. they don't like Leonardo being so virtuous or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, right. Or they don't I feel like, like Mikey f- screwing around and fucking up. And, exactly. Yeah. They, they're disappointed by Mikey being kind of a screw up and, be, you know, lackadaisical with the rules or whatever. And like, yeah, I would say that that is one of the more honest and accurate portrayals of like a brother's bond. Yep. You know what I mean? Because even if they, despite their differences and despite their frustrations with each other, they will, you know, put their own lives on the line to to defend them. So I would say like a depiction of brotherhood in film or in fiction I have always found, I think that's one of the reasons that the Ninja Turtles has had a lasting presence in my life personally is like, 
I always kind of related to that. You know, like I have anger problems like Raphael. I think you're a doofus like Michelangelo. And Brian is overly virtuous from time to time like Leonardo. You know what I mean? Like I, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. It just feels like a real depiction of a family unit. Yeah. Right? 100%. No, I, I think it's I think it's great. The only other family that and I would say And our dad is, is actually a six foot rat, which is also <laughs> helps. <laughs> um, no, I think uh the only other family that I'd put up there, like from from not necessarily in film, but I think as an honorable mention, is uh Full Metal Alchemist. Story about brothers, story about loss, and about these brothers that have made fan- amazing sacrifices in order to try and get back what they what they used to have. Um, I should watch that. People talk about it. People love it. I just, I struggle so much with anime. I want to watch. There's so many of them that I want to watch, man. Like I just, I conceptually, they sound cool. They sound right up my alley. And then I watch it and I'm like, this is not doing it for me. But Full Metal Alchemist is one of those ones that's on my list that I really should give a shot to. But I just haven't done it. I haven't done it yet. Sure. But it's a great depiction of brothers, right? I mean, the entire concept is they, they try to, uh, at a high level, they try and bring their mother back to life. And in doing so, they, they, they fuck with forces that they don't fully understand and end up uh, sacrificing the youngest brother's body and having to put him into a suit of armor. And now it's them trying to restore the youngest brother's body while also still trying to resurrect their mother now that they're slightly older and more experienced with this concept of alchemy. Um, but yeah, just like this this... Yeah, I don't know. Good, good story. Uh, really fun. It's not like typical anime that really focuses on like choreography and stuff. It's really story and like moral driven and um, philo- philosophical at times. But um, before we were, we're almost at the uh, the hour mark here. Why don't we get into what you've been reading, listening to, what you've been up to? Um. Great question. I already mentioned earlier that I watched Infinity War and Endgame. Um, just for some reason, I wanted to watch Endgame, but I was like, well, if I'm going to watch Endgame, I got to watch Infinity War. It's basically a double feature, you know? Um, so I threw on Infinity War on Friday night, watched that. My wife sat down. She has the most amazing superpower, I think, in that every time she watches a movie it's the first time she's watched that movie even if she's seen it like five or six times she's sitting there and she's just like whoa wait wait they killed him they killed thanos i i thought that the whole movie the, the second movie had thanos in it too and i'm like what are you talking about <laughs> we've seen this movie so many times together like like how do you not remember like she i just I wish I could do that. You know what I mean? Like with how much I love movies, it would be awesome to be able to like go and watch Thor Ragnarok and be surprised when the Hulk comes out. You know what I mean? And I feel like if we did it, she'd be like, whoa, the Hulk's in this? Like, bitch, we have watched this movie like seven times. What are you talking about? I thought for sure you were going to say that a superpower was remembering every other thing that you should be doing instead of watching this film. (laughs) Well, that's another one of her powers, but that's not the one I like. Um, I, uh, so yeah, we watched Infinity War on Friday night, uh, and then she wanted to watch Endgame afterwards, uh, or the next day, and so we did, and so, um, I watched them. Infinity War, honestly, Infinity War is a way better movie. Like, Infinity War is so good, I think. I don't know. Endgame, I like them both. Yeah, they're great as a double feature, but I think watching them back to back, I was like, 
Endgame is a lot of like it felt it feels like a clip show or like greatest hits moments kinds of things. You know what I mean? Going back in time. Um and you know, getting the stones from these sure. different sections and all that. And like it is fun. They do they do it in a creative way, but like Look, I just I mean, think Infinity War is so solid as a movie because you get the rises and the falls and you get the cool team ups and you get the plan making and you get like all of this stuff and then you get these really cool battle scenes that are really well thought out then you get, get the emotional gut punch at the end and it's just like i don't know man you follow you follow along it. with it so well i will no, say I mean something that really blew my mind is how emotional i am while watching movies now <laughs> i uh Growing up, I've always made fun of our dad because he cries a lot during movies. Mm-hmm. And I Commercials, almost cried twice. Movies. Yeah, I almost cried twice watching Endgame last night. I had had two beers and I haven't been drinking for the last couple of months. So my body may have just been processing beer um, differently. But like I, I haven't cried in years. I am a truly emotionally repressed individual. Don't even know if my tear ducts still work. Um, but I genuinely got choked up during, um, obviously the scene where Iron Man's reading his, you know, or like talking to his daughter after he dies. Right. Um, and when John Favreau tells her, I'm going to buy you all the cheeseburgers in the world or whatever, like that, both of those really got me. And I think that's dad stuff, but then also, (laughs) so dumb i'm not a very patriotic individual but that scene where captain america is tightening his shield and ready to keep doing battle against it's my favorite scene like in the mcu is him standing alone against the army just like fuck it (laughs) i'm just like that's america right there (laughs) it makes me feel so patriotic and it made like emotion i had an emotional reaction this time it was just like that like and like the thing is i remember before the first cap even after the first captain america movie came out but i captain america is like my least favorite marvel character he's so jingoistic and stupid and like having this like star spangled man like it's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous but in the mcu they made you and this is maybe like a props to chris evans it's definitely a props to the russo brothers for like what they did with him during winter soldier civil war and then the end game and infinity war um He's the best character, but you know, him and Iron Man really stack up against each other really well. And that is like the great success of the MCU. I think is that they put these two paragons who were probably B list heroes going into the MCU and made them a list heroes on their own. Absolutely. Throw them up to the forefront up there with Superman and Batman, like the next generation of heroes. Like, so, um, fun little, uh, uh, um, deep cut here for listeners at home one of the first topics when we b- before we decided to make this podcast we were just talking about random fun text fun fun facts or fun concepts over text and uh, we started to come up with this concept of mount rushmore's pick a topic football what's the mount rushmore of football who are the four players that you are putting up the four faces that you're putting up on that mountain and when it came down to superhero comics um, brian expected it to be this like controversial moment and Tyler and I immediately within one text message were in complete agreement over the, who are the four that are supposed to be up there. Um, and I don't know if, those... if I can remember, I got obviously Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, are like my three, but yeah. like my fourth, 
is a bit harder to fill. Who are yeah. you putting up there, Cap? Yeah, so we agreed that it was Superman, Batman, Captain Ca- Cap, and Spider-Man, even though Wonder Woman probably also belongs up there. Um, yeah. But it's 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 four of those five. Like there there is no one else that is number six. Um, Honestly, like my actual Rushmore there is is Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash. <laughs> but I don't want only DC represented. But like they're they like you know they started superhero com- like it's those four like without them superhero comics would not exist in the way that they do you know um i mean well I but mean, yeah to in the interest of fairness and including marvel i also just don't really care about marvel that much sure, I like the I mean, marvel movies a lot but like it's not marvel even comics. really a question spider-man's outsold batman superman like spider-man is the most popular superhero on the planet mm, um, superman and batman still sell the most but spider-man's right there yeah for sure he has in the '90s. Spider-Man was the highest-selling comic book in the world. I don't think Spider-Man is currently that. I think it's still Batman. I think Batman's reclaimed it. Regardless, but. my point being that if you look into the future, the generation of people that are raised off of this, you know, more cinema style of superhero storytelling, I think that Mount Rushmore is going to change. Right. Once as as older comic readers phase out and newer comic readers come in and and films have a lot more influence over it, I think that Mount Rushmore is going to change because right yeah, now. Yeah. So just quickly. Uh, Comic books, best-selling comics in uh, 2022 were Batman and Batman Spawn. Um, and then Miles Morales is is there too. But Batman is still number one selling comic book. Uh, and I, I just, you know, there's a reason for that. It's because he's uh, the best. But Spider-Man's because it's good. it's the only thing that DC puts out anymore. It's just Batman with more Oh, Batman yeah. I mean, it is Batman it is unfair that there's like 10 Batman titles running at any one and time. But you know what? other book on top of that. I'm sorry. Spider-Man also has like 10 titles constantly running at all times. It's insane. Um, anytime I go to a comic book shop, which admittedly is way less now, I look at the new comics shelves to see what, what's going on. Like what are the titles that are running right now that I might be interested in? And there's like whole a whole row that's Batman, and then there's a whole row that's Spider Man, and then there's everyone else just mixed in there, you know. Um, but it's because they're the highest selling, and they're the characters that everyone wants, so it makes sense. Anyway, yeah. um, so that's that's all I had time for. Um, obviously, sticking in with Yellow Jackets, loving it. It's great. Barry season two just premiered uh, this that's week. Season four. I'm sorry. Did I say season two? Yeah. Sorry, it's Barry season four. It's the final season. Um. So, uh, probably going to give that a uh, check that out because that's my other favorite show um, on TV right now. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm sticking up with. What do you got going on? You've been out for a couple of weeks. You want to just yeah. quickly hit your I highlights? Don't, I, I mean, most of it's, uh, I've just been working a lot. I haven't done too much as far as uh, pop culture, but this last week's been pretty busy for me. I finished uh, Brandon Sanderson's Secret Project Number One, Tress of the Emerald Sea. Uh, got Secret Project number two back in April, uh, or the first day of April, um, which is a non-Cosmere novel. It's uh, it's kind of a fun concept. The idea is it's a uh, a future enhanced person, a cyberpunk type character, wakes up in medieval medieval England with uh, temporary amnesia. The whatever uh, process it took to get him to this medieval place. Um, has wiped his memory temporarily. He has general knowledge of like what trees are and what swords are and what guns are, but he doesn't know how or why he knows that knowledge. He has no idea who he was or what he used to be, what his history is or why he's there. And so he has to now go figure it out. Um, and he's got all of these implants. Um, 
uh, and slowly regains his knowledge of the future. Um, yeah, it's a super fun book so far. Uh, if you're a fan of sci-fi and or medieval England, um, check it out. I'm enjoying it. Um, so that's books, uh, movies. Yesterday, uh, my girlfriend, my roommate and I went and caught a double feature, went and saw the Super Mario Brothers film and Dungeons and Dragons. Um, both of them were good. I would say Dungeons and Dragons was much better. Um, I liked the Super Mario Brothers movie, but it was exactly what I expected it to be. Um, it was entertaining. Um, but Dungeons and Dragons was, uh, also exactly what I expected it to be even more entertaining. Um, super fun. I hope they make more. Uh, and then as far as music goes, I went and saw a live action concert of my favorite band. I went and saw Third Eye Blind live and in person, front row tickets, um, as an early birthday gift from my girlfriend. And I love the concept of a live action concert. Live and in <laughs> as person. As opposed to, okay. a, I said, he said live action is fine. I just Im- immediately imagined like an animated concert, which I guess is just a gorillas concert. So, so they did do animated concerts. They did Travis Scott in Fortnite after season two. So get fucked. Um, um cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anyways, yeah, it was great. Um, and I found out that Third Eye Blind's planning on putting out an album this year, so I'm excited for that. Um, awesome. Yeah. So that is uh, what we've been up to. Brian, what have you been up to? Oh, that's right. You couldn't make it this week. Wait, Brian's not here? Who's been... Who have we been talking to this whole time? That's yeah, right. No one else listens. Um, um, all right. Our next topic is animated movies uh, yeah. in honor of the live action remake of an animated classic in Little Mermaid and Across the Spider-Verse coming out. Uh, we're going to be doing some animated films next up. Jeff, are you picking the next one? or I will pick the next one. I, I mean, there's a lot of animated movies that I absolutely love, but I know Brian's disdain for this topic. Um Ooh, are we hitting him with the anime? <laughs> I, I can't, I don't want to do too, do him too dirty. So I will at least pick a movie that I know that his wife will love. And I will pick my personal favorite animated movie, which is How to Train Your Dragon. Oh, okay. Yeah, I love those movies. I actually even went and saw the, the, the last one in theaters. That's yep. how much I like them. Um, and apparently, I don't know if you heard, they're doing a live action. Their DreamWorks is planning a live action, How to Train Your Dragon. They just announced it. <laughs> Sure. If if they can't cast him, but like if Jay Baruchel isn't hiccup, like what the hell? You know what I mean? Like his voice is so perfect for the character. Like it's hard for me to imagine who else they would cast as him. Yeah, some other bratty teenager for sure. Yeah, but I don't like think it's, it's I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, what? I don't know. Gerard Brother can still play the dad. Um Well yeah, he has to, right? Um who else is that aggressively Scottish? Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh he was a roman or he was a spartan so yeah but he still had a scottish accent <laughs> he didn't even do like a british accent or anything else like everyone else did he just was like nope leonidas <laughs> was scottish by way of greece <laughs> you wanted an accent huh <laughs> yeah um anyway yeah uh cool awesome i love that movie I haven't seen it in a long time but uh, it's a great one. I'm excited to see if it makes me cry because it's got all the dad stuff. Plus it's got dog stuff because Toothless, Toothless. is just a dog. Yeah. Um, cool. So, I'm anyway, not sure I'm cool. going to watch all three of them because I do love those movies, but we'll, we'll yeah, only talk about what, the first one. 
I'm already considering that. I'm like, am I going to have to watch all of these movies now <laughs> this week? Um, cool. cool. All right. Uh, well, thanks everybody for listening. Um, we're actually going to change the release process for this to every two weeks just to kind of lessen up some of the workload on on me and maybe it'll allow for my brothers to have breaks and maybe they'll both show up for a podcast and it won't just be me so we'll see you guys in two weeks uh with how to train your dragon all right bye love you guys bye